Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We were singing a number of songs that talked about the, the, specifically the power of the name of Jesus. And as we were worshiping, I just, the Lord just put something on my heart because I've been um, doing some research on the life of St. Nicholas for our McCungie holiday uh, thing next week. We're going to do this story time, and I'm going to dress up as St. Nicholas. And uh, um, St. Nicholas lived, of course, St. Nicholas, if you don't know, this is, this is the actual real-life origin story of Santa Claus. Santa Claus is like the modernized, you know, legend, legendary version, but there was a real person, St. Nicholas, and uh, a lot of the traditions are rooted in his actual life. Um, but he lived at the time right where the Roman Empire was teetering on the edge of uh, paganism and succumbing to the name of Jesus. And it's just blowing my mind as I'm reading about this, the, the, the life of this uh, saint in the history of the church um, that Jesus actually came and showed us what true power looks like, Right? Jesus is born in the midst, he's born under the, the reign of Caesar Augustus, the most powerful ruler the world had ever seen to that point, uh, and, and in the midst of the most powerful empire, the greatest empire that the world had ever seen to that point, and his name overcomes the greatest empire of the world without lifting a sword, right? And there's power in his name. That's what we were singing about this morning. And I, it reminded me of a, a dream that I had as a little kid. And there was, I was being, in the dream, I was being attacked by, it was actually, <laughs> it was actually the Bond villain, Jaws. <laughs> if you know who Jaws is, it's kind of ridiculous now when you watch it back. But it was scary as a kid, right? And um, so I'm, I, I'm, uh, Jaws is coming up the stairs to get me. And I, and I don't know what to do in the dream. And all I say is, Jesus. And all of a sudden, he like, poof, disappears. And then he comes back, and he starts coming back up the stairs, right? So I say, Jesus, poof. And he comes, he reappears and comes back up the stairs. And so this keeps happening. And eventually, I start moving down the stairs towards him, kind of like attacking with the name of Jesus. Now I've got him on the run. And he starts running away. And eventually, I got him pinned down on the floor. I'm just saying, Jesus, Jesus. And eventually, poof, he's gone, never to come back. And, and it, you know, I was just reminded of that dream. I was probably like five or six years old. And um, maybe a little older, I don't know. But <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, so Jesus shows us what true power looks like. And it's not the way that you think of power, is it? And it, it was making me think, if you think of power like a powerful person, like a, like a, a muscular person who can just, uh, you know, uh, they have the power to lift whatever they want, true power is actually shown by the minimal amount of exertion that you have to put in to getting done what you want to get done, right? The more powerful you are, the less exertion and effort and and you know, blood, sweat, and tears that you have to put in to, to, to getting it done, right? The more you have to put in, you know, if I want to go lift 300 pounds, first of all, I can't do it. But second of all, 
I would have to put every ounce of physical strength that I have to even try, right? But a truly powerful person, they would come to that thing and just, right? That's power. And so I was thinking of the name of Jesus and the things that we're praying about, the sickness and the things going on in our world, and the, the, the power that Jesus exerts is so mighty that all he has to do is say the word. He's, he doesn't have to lift a finger. He has to say a word, and it's done, right? That's true power. And so when you operate in that kind of power, you don't need, you know, the way that that should characterize itself in our lives is not this kind of like, you know, angry, shouting, bellowing, fighting, punching, you know, it's, it's a quiet kind of power that is absolutely um, confident because it's based on an authority that rules the universe, right? So this is, you know, we can have a, a quiet kind of power only in the name of Jesus. And so that's the kind of power that the Roman Empire couldn't stand against. And no empire can stand against, no system in the world can stand against that name. And so that's not part of my message, but that was on my heart to share. <laughs> so this morning is the, it, it fits in with the message though. So uh, today's the second Advent Sunday of the season, and we're in a series entitled Pregnant. And there's a question mark on that. And it was making me think, you know, question marks are also called interrogatives. And it's because answers are something that you work out, but questions are something that work on you. Questions are something that work on you. Questions have the power to interrogate your heart and, and reveal truth. And so this is a question for us right now. It's not just a series title. It's a question for us as NC4. Are you pregnant? So Pastor Grubby last week was asking, what if we, the people of God, uh, uh, NC4, um, are pregnant with his promises, his purposes right now? And I believe we are. We're pregnant with, a God, uh, with God-given purposes for our moment. And so we were talking last week about the issues that you might be facing individually. We were praying about issues that we're facing as a body and as, as, a, um, as, a, as a nation, but the kinds of issues where you look at it and you don't know where to turn. It feels like an unsolvable issue. And it reminds us of the time when the angel told Mary what God was going to do. And Mary hears this, this amazing thing and she says, pregnant? And as she ponders on it, it says her heart just bursts forth with praise and she, and she, she, she prays out what we call the Magnificat, Right? And so what she prays in the Magnificat is, uh, it's a reflection of Isaiah chapter 9, which is the theme of our series. We're, we're going one by one through the, uh, the, uh, through the most famous part of Isaiah 9, and it's the most famous part of any Messianic prophecy, I think, because it's the one that Linus reads in the Charlie Brown Christmas, Right? So everybody's heard this in the English-speaking world. They've heard this prophecy. <laughs> and it's, it's a good one that, that you know, Schultz picked um, because nobody speaks with more clarity to the coming of Messiah than the prophet Isaiah. And we looked at last week um, 
what Isaiah describes as what you could call the sacred skill set, or you could call it the prophetic personality profile, and he gives four attributes of the coming Messiah. And last week we looked at the first one, that the, the promised Messiah child would be our wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor who brings clarity, who brings comprehension, who brings revelation. And so the title of that message was, When the Counsel of God is a Baby. And so today we're going to be looking at the second of those four attributes, um, which is, he's our wonderful counselor and he's our mighty God. And so the title for today is, When the Baby is Our Warrior. Now, that on the face of it doesn't seem like a very Christmassy title. <laughs> Warfare doesn't tend to get mixed with children, and it certainly doesn't get tend, tend to get mixed with nativity. And yet, when you actually read the, the stories, both the prophecies and the circumstances around Jesus' birth, this theme is very much interwoven with the story. And so, before we read Isaiah 9 again, um, I want to remind us of the context just quickly. So Israel, and specifically the northern kingdom that Isaiah is prophesying to, uh, and actually the very area where Jesus would, would one day be conceived and raised, um, the northern kingdom of Israel is being held captive by uh, its enemy, uh, the Assyrians. And in that context, Isaiah is prophesying to Israel that God's people are pregnant with a Messiah that will deliver them. God's people are pregnant with a Messiah who will deliver them. And so we shouldn't forget that a central part of the context of the Christmas story is freedom from oppression. It's breaking yokes of bondage. And um, it was also interesting to me in, in, in studying the life of St. Nicholas. This is, uh, I, I didn't know about this. It's a really interesting story. Uh, this was part of the life of St. Nicholas, that he was known. Uh, there, there were three men uh, condemned to die for, for, uh, without trial, uh, which was illegal in the Roman Empire, and he intervened on their behalf and, and, and saved them. And there's a number of different stories. We're not sure which are legends or not. That one seems like it probably did happen. Um, and so even in the, 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 the Santa Claus character, there's this lost element of uh, justice and, and freedom from uh, oppression. Um, so, all right, we're going to pick up today from verse 4, and I'll interject some comments as we go along. So uh, Isaiah 9, verse 4, it says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And this is describing when God in the book of Judges reduces the number of Israel's army from 32,000 to down to uh, 300. And using Gideon as a very unlikely hero general, he liberates Israel from bondage. And so this is a key connection uh, that often gets passed over within this prophecy. Um, and there's a connection between the, the Messiah's victory and Gideon's victory. So, what does Gideon have to do with the coming of Jesus? Well, we're going to explore that. 
Verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every uh, garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So this is describing this absolute victory over the enemy. And then God tells us why. Verse 6 gives us the reason. It says, because for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And there's one missing here in my text, which is Everlasting Father, I believe. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal or the jealousy or the passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, Isaiah is, is clearly foretelling this coming Messiah who uh, is, is going to liberate Israel. And so he's, he's, he's characterizing Israel as a, a, a pregnant woman with the expect, expecting this, uh, this baby that, that he's describing with these four attributes. This is what this child is going to be like. And so... Uh, The first point here is that from Isaiah's perspective, Israel is pregnant with a Messiah who is God himself as well as a warrior. Now, we all know Israel was expecting the Messiah to come. Uh, Israel was expecting this Messiah to be a mighty warrior, a, 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 a warrior king, a political uh, uh, leader that would liberate them from uh, the, the political oppression that they were under. But they were absolutely not expecting that this warrior would in fact himself be God. We're going to look at that uh, also in more depth next week. But we're going to focus this morning on that second title, that second attribute, which is um, uh, one of the most counterintuitive names for the Messiah in the whole Old Testament. And it's counterintuitive, it's, it's opposite to what you would expect in two ways. So first of all, Isaiah prophesies that the baby who will be the Messiah is in fact God himself. And so nobody saw that coming. When you actually read the, the, the scriptures, you read the prophecies, it, it's there, We can see it now. We can see it clearly in hindsight, but no one saw that ahead of time. It makes me think that God sometimes, prophetically, he he, he conceals a thing so that afterwards it reveals his glory even more. Sometimes when Jesus told stories, he says, the point of me telling this story not right now is not that uh, that everyone will get it right now, but they'll get it when I rise again, right? And so... um, I want us to picture ourselves at the manger on that first Christmas. And so we have this infant lying in a, in a crib, which is a manger. Frail, vulnerable, absolutely in need of his mother. To survive, he needs and wants her protection. He needs uh, uh, her, her breasts for sustenance just like any baby. Absolutely, you, there's, there's few things more vulnerable than a human newborn. 
You know, most species, they give birth and, the, and the, 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 the offspring are much more functional when they come out of the womb, not human babies. They're completely useless when they come out of the womb, right? <laughs> right? It's true. They absolutely need their mother. So, so, so we have this picture of vulnerability, and this is, you could call this the art of incarnation, the art of Christmas itself. You know, you've got Mary, uh, maybe she's got a family member there as a midwife, and they, they you know, they, they clean off all the afterbirth after the baby's born, and um, she could have held that baby for the first time and looked in his face, and she could have said, through him, all things were made, right? And that was a true statement. And so there's this, there's this mystery um, embedded into this, um, so, so there's, there's, a, there's a counterintuitive thing. No one would think to look in the face of a baby and say, through him, all things were made, right? And so there's a second counterintuitive thing, which is this. Uh, the name here is not just God, it's mighty God. And it's, it, it, it's probably a little bit weak in how it comes out in English. And a lot of times uh, y- you would think that this is translating El Shaddai, um, you know, which a lot of times Almighty God is the translation for. Uh, we know El Shaddai from, from songs, from, you know, church names and different places. Um, but that's not the name that Isaiah is using here. The name that he prophesies is El Gibor. And it literally means warrior God. It could also, you could also translate it hero God. So there's, a, there's the Messianic Jewish temple here in, uh, in Bethlehem. It's called Temple El Gibor. And it means God who wars on our behalf. And so that's why it's important. You know, mighty God, in this prophecy, it's a, it's a connection back to the story of Gideon. When God warred on Israel's behalf. And so... This child that's born, this son that is given, as Isaiah says, he's in fact God, and he is warrior. And he is destined to break the yoke of Israel's bondage in the same way that Gideon broke Israel's bondage on the day of Midian. So we've got this baby in a manger who's not only all creator God, but you've got a baby who is in fact a warrior. Another counterintuitive thing. And so... Isaiah is saying, when Mary's looking in the face of that baby, she's looking in the face of the God who ordered the expulsion of Satan and his armies from heaven, who's chosen to become a vulnerable baby in a manger in this backwater part of Nowheresville, according to the, you know, uh, um, from a Roman way of thinking. And, and yet, so you've got this counterintuitive picture, and yet here's the irony. We were talking about true power, Right? Everyone the world thinks is powerful, everyone the world thinks is mighty, is completely oblivious to what's going on here. Right? Caesar Augustus doesn't know about it, even though he's, uh, uh, he's um, doing a census of the whole empire at that time. He has no idea this is happening. His armies and generals don't know it. King Herod doesn't know it. His armies don't know it. And so this is revealing God's strategy here. This is the next point, that Jesus comes as a child who is almighty so that the mighty of the earth are blind to him, but those who are childlike can see. 
Jesus comes as a child who is almighty so that the mighty of the earth are blind to him, but those who are childlike can see. And if you notice, everyone that comes to the manger in the nativity story has absolutely no status within Israel, right? You've got oxen and asses, and you've got uh, shepherds that were kind of like, you know, uh, social outcasts. Um, and even the magi, you know, we don't know if they were kings, but even if they were kings, they were, they were Gentiles. They were, and, and not even that, they were, you know, astrologers. They were Zoroastrians that, that uh, would have been despised by the people of Israel. And so, <laughs> here's what we need to ask ourselves this morning, this Christmas. What is it about the coming of the baby Jesus that causes God in this prophecy to point to the story of Gideon, right? And then what is the application for us in this Advent in 2021? And I think what this is highlighting for us is there is a darker side to Christmas. A darker side to Christmas that doesn't fit so well into some of our nice uh, fireside carols. <laughs> you know, I always think of that, uh, uh, is it Silent Night that talks about Jesus, you know, no, no sound does he make? I'm thinking like, did this person even have a baby? You know, right? Like, <laughs> but there's, there, there's stuff that doesn't sit so well, and it's this. With the coming of the promise of God, what this shows us is there is also the coming of an enemy who seeks to keep us in bondage and to snuff out that very same promise. So just as the promise comes, there's also an enemy at the same moment who's seeking to disrupt and, and get rid of that promise in the people of God. So you see this in the book of Revelation. John describes uh, his own nativity scene uh, in book of Revelation chapter 12. And John describes this. He says, She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And so John is describing what is happening in the spiritual realm, just as in the physical, Jesus is being born in Bethlehem. And so this, this is John's uh, cosmic perspective on Christmas. And you see that manifested in the flesh uh, in, in Herod's you know, homicidal rampage in, in Bethlehem as he goes to kill all the, all the, uh, the infant boys. And so... Uh, what you see is God naturally, supernaturally delivers them through um, the intercession of angels in the dream, right? The angels come to Joseph in a dream, and, and they flee to Egypt. And so, uh, uh, where is all this going? Now, we've already said last week and today that I believe, we believe, that during this particular season, the people of God, and that includes us as NC4, are pregnant with his purposes. And what that means is God's calling us to spiritual warfare. Because as those purposes are in, in gestation and they're coming to birth, 
He's already told us there's an enemy waiting to snatch them up. And so that call to be expectant to the promise is also a call to prepare yourself to fight for it, to struggle for it. And so this is not a time for us to be passive uh, as a church or, or as individuals. You know, this has been a, I don't have to tell you, for a lot of us, this has been a very difficult last couple of years. It may be, may be the most difficult season you've ever been through. Uh, it's certainly the most difficult season our society has been through in living memory. Um, but, and that goes for churches as well. It's been a very difficult time uh, as a church and for many, many uh, churches around the world. But I think what we're seeing here is that this is not just a time to kind of you know, hold on by our fingernails. This is a time to begin to exercise the authority that comes with our warrior God being born on Christmas Day. So I want to ask this question again. This is the next point. How is the child Jesus like Gideon, and how are we to be like both of them? And so to answer this, we want to take a quick look at the book of Judges, chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 11. And um, we're just going to read this and, and add a few comments. And, and here the context, um, uh, similar to Isaiah's prophecy, is that Israel is oppressed by its enemies, and they're oppressed to the extent that they're afraid to even leave their homes. All right, so they're immobilized. They're, they're, they're besieged. You could even you could say they're quarantined, if you will. So they're living in fear. So let's take a look at Gideon, starting in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the um, Abiezrite. So um, we've got this angelic visitation happening here. And it says, While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So, so Gideon is hiding and he's beating, he, he's, he's beating out wheat in the wine press, which is the one place where you wouldn't beat out wheat because it's going to get all contaminated with the, you know, the, the wine residue. Um, and he's, he's there doing it secretly because he's afraid, right? Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, if you were doing what he was doing, you might think the angel is roasting you right? You might think this was sarcasm, <laughs> but these are, these, are, these are very Christmas words. The Lord is with you, right? This is what Gabriel says uh, to Mary and that the, the, the angels say. Um, and so um, the name for God in Isaiah's prophecy is El Gabor, and this is the name that the angel calls Gideon. He calls him Ayil Gibor which means hero or almighty warrior. Isn't that interesting? And so Gideon's hearing this, you know, he must have absolutely been, you know, dumbfounded, and he doesn't look like a hero in any sense. He doesn't feel like a hero. No one would have looked at him and called him a hero. And so he, he naturally asks the question that you would ask and that many people are asking right now. And here's the question in verse 13. It says, Gideon said to him, Please, my lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this all happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? 
Now, we're not going to get into the rest of the story of Gideon, but the point here is that um, the one that seems to be the most unlikely of heroes, he obeys God, and with a, a, a tiny group of soldiers, he breaks the oppression over Israel um, against incredible odds. And so this is what I believe the Lord is saying to us right now as we, as we study this together. The next point, in, their, in the midst of their predicament, to natural eyes, neither the child Jesus nor Gideon nor the church look like mighty warriors. All right, so you've got Jesus here who's being called Almighty God, and yet he's a baby, completely vulnerable. You've got this, this, uh, this Gideon who's being called Mighty Warrior, and yet he's hiding away, you know, uh, uh, for fear. And um, <laughs> Jesus says all, this thing, all these things about his church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and yet you look at the church that, through natural eyes, and, and, and you see... Um, right now, you see a lot of vulnerability. And so Gideon, we find Gideon here in what we're reading is, you know, he's, he's in the wine press, he's trying to hide himself, he's camouflaging himself, he's trying to eke out a living, and yet the angel comes, and what the angel does is, he doesn't speak to the natural potential, he speaks to Gideon's supernatural potential. Right? He doesn't say, Gideon, you know, come on, man, you, you did army training, right? You remember that? Uh, you know, uh, Gideon, you went and studied, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, or Gideon, you know, you're, you're really more of an extrovert. What are you doing hiding here? He's not pointing to his natural capacities, his natural, you know, uh, uh, potential. He looks at Gideon and he sees something that Gideon wouldn't see about himself and no one else would have seen about Gideon. He speaks to his natural uh, so his supernatural potential. And so it's funny, like Gideon's response, he's kind of like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> me? And by the way, God, where were you when all this happened? Why do you have to come now after the fact? Right? And so I think that's a very natural uh, human response. But here's, here's, here's the lesson for us this morning, I believe. All right? What God sees in us and what we see in ourselves are two completely different things. And this is the next point, that God sees something in the church that the church does not see in itself. God sees something in the church that the church does not see in itself. Now, the church, at least in this country, um, has been going through a season of uh, consolidation of, of uh, constraint, of, of protection, uh, and, and much of that out of good wisdom. Um, but there's also been a lot of confusion. There's also been a lot of disagreement. There's, a lot of bit of, uh, there's been a lot of anger and offense uh, and division. And, you know, many of you may have heard Pastor Jack say that these past couple of years have been the most difficult in his 40 years of pastoring. You know, which I find encouraging because I'm like, hey, well, if this, is, if this is the worst, I mean, like, you know, I'm starting here, so we should, you know, it should be a, a great <laughs> smooth sailing from here on right now. Um, I don't think that, by the way. Okay. So 
you know, but uh, one of the cool things this past year, we've been able to spend quite a lot of time with many of the other pastors in our network and locally, and um, it, it really, um, what I hear from many of them is that this last season that we've all been through as a church has really, it, it's, it's, it's called on every ounce of leadership skill and anointing that uh, uh, the church has to try and navigate through it. And so there's a lot of tiredness. There's a lot of weariness. And a lot of people, uh, there's some pretty heartbreaking statistics about the amount of pastors that are leaving the ministry right now. Many, many, many leaving the ministry because it's been so difficult. And not only that, but many people are leaving their churches. Um, whether they're looking for greener grasses somewhere else or they don't feel they fit in anymore, or a lot of people are abandoning church altogether. And so, in the natural, when you look at those kinds of things, in the natural, you would say, um, this is a very weak and vulnerable state. But when you look at this story, that is exactly the moment where the angel turns up and speaks to Gideon and says, don't look at what you see here and there. This is what God sees in you. And he calls him mighty warrior. And so I want us to prophetically kind of receive a vision and a declaration from God this morning that that God is telling us, he's telling you, I don't see you as you see yourself. God is declaring, this is our next point, God is declaring a level of authority to the church that the church needs to begin to walk in. There have been seasons uh, where that has happened, and, and, and we're in that new season again. I believe we're being called to a new level of perception. We're being called to a new level of simple obedience. And so what that means is at the time, kind of like my dream, uh, where, you know, it seemed like the enemy was advancing and we were holding on by holding on to the name of Jesus, but there comes a turning point where you begin advancing in the name of Jesus, right? And start taking background from the enemy. And so I believe this is the moment we're in. This is not just a moment uh, to continue uh, maintenance. Uh, this is a moment to rebuild and begin growing the church again in the power of God. And so, the thing that you, you grab onto in that, what moves you from being a, a, a non-hero to becoming a mighty warrior like Gideon is, is not our natural understanding or our natural uh, abilities. It's understanding that we serve a warrior God. We serve a warrior God. And so, the Christmas message this year for us, I believe this is the next point, a baby in a manger whose name is Almighty God is now God on high who breaks the power of the enemy when human strength fails us. Let me say that again. A baby in a manger whose name is Almighty God is now God on high who breaks the power of the enemy when human strength fails us. You know, in God, he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Right? And so actually, being in a place of weakness and vulnerability is when we're given the opportunity to display most clearly the power of God, right? And so 
We, we almost called this message Manger Rangers. Thankfully, we talked ourselves out of it, but... <laughs> I, I do believe, however, that just like the angel spoke to Gideon and called him Ayil Gabor, that God is speaking to us in the same way and says, mighty warriors. And some of us are like, who, me? God's saying, yes, mighty warrior, mighty man of God, mighty woman of God. Um, I've called you to be people of valor. And so when we gain a grasp of who God is in Jesus Christ, we, we have access to this divine skill set that we're talking about here that's based on the birth and the death and the ascension, the resurrection of our King Jesus. And when you avail yourself of him, he becomes your wonderful counselor who gives you wisdom and comprehension and revelation that's beyond what your brain is able to know. And when you cling to him in that, that moment of, of vulnerability, he becomes your almighty warrior, God, who gives power and authority that is far beyond what our natural abilities uh, are. And so I want to close this morning just reassessing our, our timidity um, and just pray a, a, a power of, uh, sorry, pray for, for um, power and authority over us as a church. And so last week we were, we were asking, what is the, the unsolvable problem that, that you're asking God to be your wonderful counselor in uh, this Advent? And so um, as, the, as the worship team comes back up, I want to invite you to, uh, to stand with me and we'll, and we'll pray this together. Um, and I want to give an invitation for any of us uh, who may be here or may be watching online that you've never turned to Jesus and um, asked him, given yourself to him as your king, as your wonderful counselor, as your mighty God. And so there's an invitation for you right now. Because all the things we've been talking about, they can be true of anyone who will come to him and call him Lord. And so if that's you, you can, you can pray uh, words like this to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for how I've I uh, rejected you. I've tried to live uh, my own life apart from you. Jesus, I thank you that even though you were God, you made yourself human like me. You were born on Christmas Day and you, you lived a perfect life that I should have lived. You died the death that I deserved. And you resurrected so that I could have new life. So Jesus, today, I come to you and I want to call you Lord of my life. And I'll serve you and walk with you from this day forward. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me your child. Amen. Which simply means, may it be so. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.